0: Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs.
1: Well, it's all right, Riding around in the breeze. well, it's all right, if you live the life you please, well,
2: it's all Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. It's our 400th episode today, and I would say it is still a great day to take your dog for a walk. Uh, A little bit of a stretch today. It's kind of wet out there, but you know what? Put a raincoat on. You'll be fine.
3: Get some galoshes and uh, poncho. Some dogs like the rain, I I expect, like people.
2: Well, it does make uh, everything smell better. So there you go. Well, we've got a compilation of sort of best of um, today that is a really fun show. Some of the highlights over the years. Uh, Patricia McConnell, Dr. Michael Fox, uh, Mark Beckoff, Alexander Horowitz, Maggie McClure with the Vashon Sheepdog Trials, and then a segment from um, when shortly after I had to say goodbye to my first dog as an adult, Chewy, back in 2009. And uh, it's a fun show, just kind of a nice sample of the guests over the years. And, um, you know, I really strive for and have a commitment to quality of content and um, you know not just putting on any any product or any anybody with a book about a dog but I, I do actually read all the books of the authors I interview for example and um, it's part of what has me enjoy doing the show so much and um, it is also a reflection in our sponsors so I wanted to say and Eric I have a little thank you for you and your dog. Uh, I've got you some more goat's milk to oh, take Oh, beautiful. Home.
3: Yeah, Abby will love that. St.
2: John Creamery, raw goat's milk. Uh, they're a local farm here. You can get goat's milk pretty much wherever you are in the country at pet stores, but if you live in western Washington, definitely reach for St. John Creamery. It's grass-fed, and the goats are happy and well-cared for, and it's a really great, easy way to boost the nutritional value of your food, whether you feed kibble or raw food or freeze-dried food or whatever. Um, and then, of course, Farm Dog Naturals. We're just loving their products, their skin salves. The healing salves work so well. We're using it on everything. We've even used it on the goats, um, and it's just great. And that's farmdognaturals.com. They've got a small line of household products for your dog. Um, and then Saint John Creamery.com as well, raw goat's milk. Love these two companies and are so glad to have them on board. So enjoy this show uh, today, this uh, compilation of uh, highlights from over the years. Um, so I selected six uh, segments of varying deg- uh, varying times um, from some, most of them, let's see, five of them were interviews and then the one that I chose was uh, the show that I did which was a week and a half after my dog died, um, an important uh, show. Just re- me reflecting on, you know, or sharing what I'm going through. And then we had some listeners calling in actually on that show. That was dog show number 31. And here we are at 300. Going um, all the way back to 2009. I know. I believe it. I know it. So I'm um, going to um, start off with one of my, this was another early one, number 37, Dr. Michael Fox, which and this is a show that I have replayed um during weeks that I've um wanted to choose a favorite interview. I've replayed it in its entirety. It's that good. But the part that I specifically picked out was the part that um Dr. Fox is talking about prescription um prescription diets for dogs and uh and uh, really talking about the institution of veterinary medicine. So we're going to play uh Dr. Fox's interview, and then we'll be back in just a few minutes, and I'll introduce the next one. So enjoy this compilation of uh, best ofs of The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and here's my interview with Dr. Michael Fox back in 2009.
1: But when you go into your local vet hospital, especially these franchise ones, they call them muck veterinary hospitals. Yeah. The first thing you see is the topical flea spot that you could have put on Or the flea pill yeah, Which is another bugger for jamming the immune system And causing neurological and other problems Yeah. Then you see This whole aisle is like being in the supermarket mm-hmm. Of all these bags and cans Of mm-hmm. the regular Cat and dog foods mm-hmm. Which the first ingredients are generally Chicken meal, whatever that is And then corn or And soy byproducts and so on Which is food that is not fit for a dog or a cat. And then on the other side, you see all the very expensive uh, science-based prescription diets, yeah. which are very expensive,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: are given when these animals get sick on their regular food. Right. And uh, as you have pointed out before, uh, a lot of these special prescription diets contain the same ingredients that the animals have been eating before and are responsible for their nutrition-related health problems. But it's it's a big money wheel. Now, these vets get brainwashed at vet college. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Uh, Nutrition should be one of the major courses in vet school. Mm -hmm. But it's not. Nutrition is the cornerstone in medicine. Hippocrates said, make your food your medicine, and your medicine your food. Mm -hmm. But that paradigm, that that worldview is not there. Mm -hmm. Instead, they're given a short course uh, essentially telling them that manufactured pet foods are science-based and they provide complete balanced nutrition for the animals' entire lives, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is a complete myth that our book helps to dispel. Mm-hmm. There are tremendous genetic differences in dogs uh, as to their requirements. For example, uh, the wheat and Terrier, no pun intended, is allergic to wheat, and they will have... Uh, seizures on wheat, mm. and a lot of other dogs will. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are so sensitive to uh, anatto which is a, a color dye, a, a normal vegetable co- color dye from a lipstick tree, and that's in yellow and orange cheese. One little piece, and a sensitive dog will have a seizure. Mm. And, you know, epilepsy is not mentioned in the pet health insurance uh, reports, but that, from my column, is one of the major issues. Uh, that these poor dogs finish up on phenobarb or potassium bromide, even though they become zombies for the rest of their life. One, mm-hmm. in fact, a change in diet, like m- my homemade recipe that's on my website, mm-hmm. uh, would would cure them overnight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it is absolutely appalling. I'm I'm completely stunned by the whole yeah. nonsense.
2: Yeah. What is your website?
1: Uh, it's www dot one word. Two Bit Dog, T W O B I T D O G, com slash Dr. Fox, D R F O X.
3: And that was a great clip from all the way back in 2009. It sure was. Yeah.
2: Dr. Michael Fox, friend of the show. Yes, one of my favorite guests. He's been on a, a few times over the years, so you can search for him in the archives. Um, which are all on dogradioshow.com and also on iTunes. So this next clip is from um, 2009 in September when uh, my first dog as an adult um, passed away. I had to euthanize Chewy, my boy, my first boy. And um, it was a week and a half after he died, and it was the first time that I have had gone through this. With my own dog, I had lost, you know, family dogs as a child, but it's different. And I was just, I spent the whole show just talking about what, you know, my experience and what, you know, the, the making the decision to put him down and how hard that was. And um, I'm kind of going through some details about that. And then uh, we had some listeners actually call into that show and and share, which was really wonderful to hear from people who had been there. And, you know, we all, we know... How hard it is, and it's not um, validated as much in society as when we lose a human family member. But people who know, and a lot of people who would listen to this show, know how how brutal it is to to lose a loved pet. So um, you can hear the grief in my voice in this one for sure. But it really brings up some important information, I think, around end of life experiences um, with pets, and uh, you know, to better to best equip everybody to you know go through that process as smoothly as possible so this is from dog show number 31 back in 2009 and um, it is something that is certainly part of the deal of living with a dog or living with a pet that we often have to make that decision of that we probably wouldn't have to make if dogs lived in nature uh, somebody told me um you know something that we forget is that because we bring animals into our houses and live with them in our houses that we then end up having to often be the ones to have to make that choice of okay you know is it time now to end their life because if they um lived outside in nature they probably would have been gone much sooner and it just you know nature takes its course and they wouldn't have survived as long as they do living in our houses with us with the you know vet care that we have access to and and stuff like that so you know it's, it's hard it was a really hard part for me of the whole experience you know my discomfort with having to make the decision okay go ahead and end his life when it's the last thing that I wanted to do. But I felt like it was the only thing that I could do to protect him from suffering. Um, you know, I didn't want him, I didn't want to just wait for him to crash and to have to put him down in crisis. Um, I, you know, I didn't want him to suffer. I didn't want him to die on his own, you know, in a way that was really uncomfortable or scary for him and you know surgery wasn't really a viable option either i certainly explored that um but with a 12 year old dog um and and just the odds that you know this was caused by tumors very very likely cancerous tumor very very likely that it was an aggressive type of cancer that's had spread you know it was like okay well there's maybe a you know miraculous chance that he would survive but the risk was that you know they i go in put him through surgery they go in there and open him up and just find tumors everywhere and then have to put him down on the table and that it was really important for me to um be holding him when he left. it was just so important for me you know that i got to control his last day to have you know for him to be happy when he went and to be in my arms was seemed like the best thing that I could do for him, um but man it's uh it's not easy. that's probably the hardest thing that I've had to go through uh one of the hardest things for sure. uh, we have Heather in Seattle on line one. Hi, Heather.
5: Hi, I just tuned in, so I didn't get to hear a lot of about what you were talking about, but I understand your excuse just like through having to put your dog to sleep, yeah. Yeah, and I, I've i had to do it before, um, and um, I'm in a position now where I have a very, very old dog, yeah. and it's very difficult because I, too, want to have some control over how, how it happens, and I, I struggle every day almost with, do I do it sooner than later, so... She's at home and comfortable. Yeah. Um. Or do I just kind of let things take its course? But I'm also terrified. I don't want to end up in a emergency situation where it's chaotic and stressful, and she's at the vet and that sort of thing.
3: So yeah.
5: I don't know what your experience was, but I know I know how hard it is. I mean, even the last two dogs I've had to put to sleep were older, but they were ill and it was very obvious yeah. and with with my dog it's like she's just old <laughs> she's just really old she's 16 and mm. she's hanging in there she loves her walks and loves eating still but it's still you just it's yeah. the hardest thing and I, i'm sorry i know i i know how hard it is so yeah um but i don't know all i can say is yeah. i'm sure every You've dog out, owner out there has to go through it just like you said and it's so yep. difficult to be to have to make that choice for another living thing it's yeah. really excruciating
2: yeah it really is and there's no real there's no real easy way around no. it it's like damned, no. damned if you do and damned if you don't
5: yeah yeah and you know people have different philosophies I know people that have let their animals just go and let them go and go and go and die on their own and that's I've seen that with other people's pets and it's that makes me uncomfortable but yes. I know I know how hard it is for people to let go. So yeah. we just you got you know, I'm sure you did the right thing and that's you just have to know you do the right thing by your animal. I mean, they know that, so yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah,
2: well, thanks for, thanks for your call. We're going to send you back to Darcy to get your information, but uh, thanks for sharing your story and for uh, letting me know that you know how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks Heather. Bye. Bye. Yeah. You know, something that I was clear about, um, and it's a really good point that she makes and that I wanted to clarify for people because sometimes it is more clear than others. You know, the dog might just get obviously sick, and they're obviously having a hard time. And and sometimes dogs just sort of fade out slowly, and it seems like they're still, you know, doing okay, but at the same time, not. And that it's basically, you know, in making my decision, you can only do the best that you can. But what I was really clear about was that it wasn't about me, that this decision was all about him. And so, trying to make my decision based off of his best interest and just being really clear about that and not letting my own needs get in the way when he needs me the most, which was really in his exit, boy, listening back to that interview when i was i listened to it in its entirety when I was selecting a segment, and it really brought me back to the experience and I felt even felt some emotions come up almost uh let's see five plus years afterwards, so really um. Really touching to hear that from me and to kind of reconnect me to that experience. And you know hopefully if if anyone's listening who's in that spot now, hopefully that that helps to at least provide some comfort because uh, a lot of people know what you're going through. So so let's take a break, and then when we come back, I will introduce the next segment, which will be my interview with uh, Dr. Alexandra Horowitz, who's the author of a book called Inside of a Dog. Loved talking with her. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.
1: I love my dog as much as I love you. For you may say my dog will always come through. All he asks from me is the food to give him strength All he ever needs is love And that he knows he'll get So I love my
4: This is Martha Norwalk, every Sunday morning beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage, we cover the world of animals. This week, October 30th, it's an encore presentation of Harmonic and Energy Shifting Sunday with Jude and Paul Ponton from Whispering Dragon Center in Seattle. Hear them in the studio with their acutonic forks, Tibetan bowls and bells, Pua and Didge, doing remote sessions for listeners and their animal friends. You can benefit from the energy
2: just from listening. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 11. Host at dogradioshow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at dog radio show.com I look forward to connecting.
3: Wait, dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. <laughs> Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk 1150. And now, back to the dog show with Julie Forbes. I don't
1: need. Cold water to make me that I love my dog That's my I love you, for
2: you. Welcome back to the dog show with Julie Forbes. We're celebrating our four hundredth episode today. Eric has helped me put together a best of show for you where I've gone through and selected several of my favorite segments out of many. It was really hard to choose. I'll have to do this again. Um, So we're going to keep going, and uh, next I'm going to play a segment from my interview with Alexandra Horowitz, who is the author of a book called Inside of a Dog. Really recommend this book. Really, really interesting. She does wonderful work and was really a joy to talk to. So enjoy my interview. This was Dog Show number 226, my interview with Dr. Alexandra Horowitz. You actually spoke to something that I was planning on asking you anyway Um, you know I was kind of thinking to myself as I'm reading your book and getting some insight into what you know and your experience and uh, I'm curious because of the depth of how you've studied and observed and your education and and all of that because you also talk a lot about Pumpernickel and um who has since passed and then Finnegan who is your current dog and I'm curious as to what your perspective is or re- your reflection or thoughts on if you have thought that your because of the extensive extent of the research that you've done is your relationship how has that impacted your relationship with your own dogs and do you imagine how do you imagine it's different from that of the average dog owner
0: I think I have a lot more patience with my dogs actually mm. than uh I did before and maybe than the average dog owner, if maybe I was an average dog owner. I was a I was I was always interested in and, and sensitive to animals and concerned about their plight kind of and mm. you know, wanting things to go well for them. And that included my own dogs, but I also left my dog all day while I was at work. And at the time I didn't think about that. Uh, I didn't think about trying to find an outlet for her in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. um, where now a lot of people do. But uh, at the time, it wasn't that uh, okurant, and and I just wasn't in my mind, you know. So I there was some leap of thinking, empathizing, kind of that I hadn't gotten to that I now really have, and that means that I am very attentive all the time to their you know, who they're with, what they want to do, what I'm providing for them, if something is troubling for them. And I don't think it's obsessive at all. It's very easy, just yeah. the way you're thinking about another animate thing and you're yeah. in the room with you, you know, yeah. who provides a lot of, um, like a great relationship for you. And I also am, am, have changed my walks a lot with them. Um,
1: mm.
0: When I lived with Pumpernickel, I would, we really started doing these smell walks, as I described in the book, where uh, she was getting on in years, and so she didn't really want to have as long a walk to begin with. And our, But my idea of the walk was still you go out to get a little exercise or to allow her to relieve herself, et cetera. And then it changed to just go some, follow her nose, basically, and, and stop when she wanted to stop and dig her nose into something for... Five minutes,
2: just stop there. (laughs) Right, because they will. (laughs) They will stop for five minutes and just smell and smell and smell. Yeah,
0: right. And with my own with my dogs now, I live actually. We have two dogs um, Hmm. now. The we'll we'll do that too. Not every walk is an exercise walk or just about peeing. It's also to let them smell where what's going on outside. This like this exciting olfactory universe that they're closed away from. Yeah. Some good chunk of the day and um so in every way I'm just really interested in kind of maximizing the situation for them and it has almost nothing to do with like products for dogs and right you know and and things that humans think are interesting it's really all from the dog's perspective mm-hmm. and that's been that's been great. So I think that's that people, you know, come to that at different levels, but a lot of people are not really aware of that at all because there's a very Exhaustive kind of industry and 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 worldview of looking at the dog as something which has to be trained and ver and, you know just potty trained and to sit and then that that's kind of it then they could be left alone they should be able to like fit in the family
2: right they'll be happy
0: they'll be happy all dogs are always happy they're yeah. you know and that's that's kind of consumed our consciousness
1: mm-hmm. and so
0: people have gotten away from that certainly you know yeah. but uh I'm, I'm on the far end of that, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure I have a ways to go. I'm, I have met many more things to learn and yeah. my relationships will change with them still. I'm sure of it.
2: Well, it is something that I talk about. I've talked on the show about plenty of times in the past and on a regular basis with my clients, because what I'm doing is teaching them how to communicate with their dogs. They have expectations. Oftentimes I'm working with, challenging behaviors and you know understanding well why is the dog doing it first of all and then talking about a solution but i'd say one of the biggest things and most common things is that people just are not present i mean in general let alone to their dog because things are so i mean everybody especially in seattle is glued to their phone and you can do five things at once from your phone and everything is faster 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 and when you're Training or working with a dog or trying to modify a behavior, you got to slow down and just get present, and that alone is a huge shift for people like oh. I
0: agree there's a, it, there's, it's an illusion that dogs are are just simple, right yeah. that they're, they're, we forget literally that they're animate and that they have constant needs and demands and the way you talk about you know a challenging behavior is just right as far as I'm concerned, because people just view dogs as misbehaving all the time. As though they should have an instant, immediate understanding of what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. And the whole notion that a dog, on coming into a human household, sort of has this, like, you know, super ego, which describes to them the right and wrong, the rules. It's incredible I know. that we would do that. And then so we view all their behavior in that light. But that's such a misguided way to start or continue to have a relationship. Yeah. I mean, sure you can... You can have a whole lifelong relationship with a dog like that, and many have. But mm-hmm. I think it's so much better to not use misbehavior, for instance, and, as you say, slow down and look at their dog and see what's happening that causes the behavior. and And sometimes just that can change it.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I saw Dr. Alexander Horowitz as well as Dr. Michael Fox, who was the first segment, and also Mark Beckoff and Patricia McConnell, um, who will be coming up in the SPARKS uh, conference, a one of two SPARKS conferences, um, the Society for the Promotion of Applied Research in Canine Science. Um, so that was, has been a source of a lot of really awesome content. So next up is uh, Mark Beckoff, who's the author of the emotional lives of animals and he and i had a really interesting conversation about uh how animals experience emotions you know we of course specifically talked about dogs but really wonderful book the emotional lives of animals with dr mark beckoff so enjoy my talk with him so you mentioned the word anthropomorphism uh which flies around all over the place um more so in the past um in the field of, you know, my field, dog training and behavior, but I think in animals, working with animals in general. And it means to attribute human characteristics to non-human animals. And it's like you've said, it's actually becoming more, it's not shunned the way that it, it was always said, don't anthropomorphize, don't anthropomorphize. And now it's like, well, there's actually quite a bit of value in relating to an animal and sort of describing or almost translating um, as long as you're keeping as long as you're maintaining the animal's point of view and clearly not projecting your own emotions onto the animal. So that's where the distinction is for me.
6: Right. Um, I mean anthropomorphism It's basically the attribution of human characteristics or traits to non-human entities. And, you know, another example would be people talk about angry thunderstorms or angry Mm -hmm. uh, tornadoes. Uh, I mean, the deal for me with anthropomorphism, I call it one of the A-words, is that it's been used, or the critics have been duplicitous about it, because um, an example that I've written about, and there's others, is if I say, for example, that an elephant in a zoo isn't happy, the critic will say, oh, you're being anthropomorphic. She is happy. And then it gets really quiet. And the reason it gets quiet is (laughs) simply because to say that an animal is happy is to be anthropomorphic. And so, My take on it is that, once again, if you ascribe to solid biological and evolutionary theory, especially, once again, Charles Darwin's ideas on continuity, then when we talk about a dog being happy or a dog grieving, we're not inserting something human into them. Mm -hmm. We're discussing their own emotional lives. And once again, you know, people have written volumes about anthropomorphism, but the fact of the matter is we have no alternatives, and I put forth an idea that we need to be biocentrically anthropomorphic, and what that $10 phrase really means is that we need to take into account the lives of the animals. So the question isn't do dogs feel emotions, it's why do they feel emotions, do killer whales, polar bears, elephants, chimpanzees, and other animals feel emotions. The question is really, why have emotions evolved?
2: Would you say it's accurate to say that the term anthropomorphism is coming from the assumption that humans are the only animals that actually experience emotions in the first place?
6: Yeah, I mean, historically, you know, you know, that's basically how it was you know used it was but yeah i mean hadn't thought of it that way and i and i think that's a really good way to think about it is that we're attributing something human to non-human animals um and they really don't have it
2: yeah and i think it does it does so acknowledging that animals do experience emotion It also, too, I mean, I hear people all the time sort of misdiagnose their dog's behavior and say, oh, well, you know, she's doing this to get back at me or, you know, sort of. It's like, well, no, I can see how it would feel that way to you. But actually, an understanding from the dog's perspective, these are actually the reasons why this behavior, you know, why the dog is expressing this behavior. So I think it does happen. It's not like, oh, it's just a free for all now and we can start you know, relating to our dogs as if they're people, but really knowing where that line is.
6: Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, we can be, you know, some people say, well, look, you know, so-and-so was wrong about this, or you were wrong about this. And, you know, there's a a number of, you know, comebacks. One is just because you're wrong. Some of the time doesn't mean you're wrong all the time. But people also misread the literature. So here's a really good example that centers on dogs. Alexandra Horowitz, who will be at the meeting in mm-hmm. Seattle, yep. did a study, and she discovered that humans were not very good at reading guilt in dogs. Okay, they would think the dogs were behaving guilty when, in fact, they weren't, or they, they, would, they would say, oh, the dog is behaving guilty because they did something and they didn't. But Alex did not say that dogs can't feel guilt she just said, we're not good at reading it. And that is a huge difference um, in, you know, conclusion. Mm. And so, I mean, Alex is a good friend of mine, and I've talked to her a lot about it, and I wrote an article for Psychology Today about it because a very popular book came out a couple of months ago and basically said that Alex Horowitz discovered that dogs don't feel guilt. So I'm not sort of beating it to death. I'm basically saying that... Yeah, you have to be careful, but I would have to say that, you know, the vast majority of the time when you watch two dogs play, they're enjoying themselves, and when it gets to the point where they're not, one dog may break it off or refuse the play solicitation from another dog, yeah. but... I think it just is absolutely stupid to say that we don't know whether the dogs are enjoying themselves. And once again, we've got the same thing with tickling and joy in rats. I mean, These studies were highly invasive, and they're not Mm. the kind of studies that I support, but they were done. So if we look at the results, once again published in really highly prized peer-reviewed professional journals, we see that rats are mammals.
1: Mm-hmm. They have
6: the same neural architecture that we have for emotions. So, once again, I think it's just robbing animals of their emotions and pondering, you know, whether they feel this or that is is—it's just a waste of time. I, I really, really mean it. Once again, the question is, is, why would joy evolve? Why would grief evolve? Why would jealousy, resentment, embarrassment, and empathy evolve, not if they have evolved?
2: Mm-hmm yeah there are it does seem to be that there's personally I've heard of some studies that have been done, and it's like, why do you have to study this to know that it's true? It's like <laughs> you're you're studying what's obvious to pretty much everybody I think who's out there. We just proved it, you know
6: <laughs> right um, I mean, you know i' I'm, I'm a scientist and I love science, mm-hmm. but you know it's I always say it's not the only show in town. But I think you can't just look and, you know, pick certain things like you pick potato chips out of a bag because they support your theory. I mean, the research done on empathy in mice that was published about seven years ago was horrifically abusive. Yeah. It was done by neuroscientists at McGill University and published in Science Magazine. Well, people could say, well, you know mice, we know mice, uh, you know, we knew mice, um, you know, display empathy. Well, We didn't, quote, know it in the scientific sense, but now we do, and same, like I said, with rats and pigs and, you know, many other animals. So we don't need to study it anymore, and the fact is, now that we know that they display empathy and now that we know their attention and they feel pain, this should really be driving us to radically changing and improving our standards of conduct for research.
2: Love talking with Mark Beckoff, Such a great guy. Great ideas. And I just love the voice that he's bringing to this topic about animals and emotions. Really important. that so A lot of people still think that animals don't feel emotions. And they indeed do. Um, so I chose this next one. I've had some really wonderful conversations with Maggie McClure um, over the years. I've had her on the show a number of times in promotion of the Vashon Sheepdog Classic, which is one of my favorite events every year. In the Seattle area, um, so I talk with Maggie about herding breeds and um, that that world because the Vashon Sheepdog Classic is a sheepdog trial, so it's mostly border collies herding sheep, and you get to go and sit on the side of a beautiful uh, farm and watch these dogs do what they were designed to do, and it's there's a lot there to talk about. So this is a little bit of uh, my conversation with Maggie McClure, but you can of course find. Her interviews and all of these archived in in their entirety at dogradioshow.com, and you can also fetch them at iTunes as a free audio podcast. So enjoy my talk with Maggie McClure next of Vashon Sheepdog Classic. So Maggie, I have a question that um I some of my clients, I've sent some of my clients to you for herding lessons. And And then just in general, talking about their herding breeds. And one of the questions that they ask me frequently is, but if I take my dog, like, will taking my dog herding amplify their herding drive? And so would it therefore be, like, would they start wanting to herd everything, like, you know, the vacuum, if they don't already? Um, Right. Have you had any... um, I know you've had experience with it, but any yeah. thoughts on I, you that? Know, my thought is that the,
7: we the dogs are pretty um, conceptual. So I, I do believe that if you have a dog who wants to, say, herd your children or something inappropriately, the, taking them to stock and having them learn about thinking and hearing you when they're in a high drive kind of mindset, it's only going to help you have more control over your dog because we can just say, "Oh, you know, time to stop. You need to you need to come away from the sheep now, or now you can." So we can control their access mm-hmm. um, to the stock, which is hard hard to do with the local squirrel at the park. So <laughs> you know you can help have your dog starting to think and hear you when they're in a amped up spot. So yeah. that's helpful. I don't think it increases their um, need to go, you know, have that feeling in other places. I think it becomes very situational.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it seemed like that's been my sort of sense for it as well. Um, and so I your s- dogs
7: didn't start hurting flies until after <laughs> you took
2: them to sheep. <laughs> well, they they have the drive. I mean, you know, they've they've just got it. I've noticed Levi get more intense about the fly situation because he's which makes sense to me because he's he wants to work and so it's just self-reinforced so now he's like oh you know and we do live in the city and we don't have the space that they really should have that that they really are meant to be in i mean when we take them out to we have a friend who has acreage like 150 acres out in northeastern washington and i've talked about when i go out there i've talked about how amazing it is to go out there and how different the cattle dogs are when i'm they're outside off leash for long days you know yeah seven it changes
7: eight, it completely doesn't it oh, Their totally. energy just relaxes totally and, and they totally cool yeah. and it's
2: not just that they're um it's not just that they're, like, not um, <clears throat> not so amped or, uh, like, frenetic or um, or challenging. But actually, they really are amazing. They are incredible dogs to have out in that because they don't wander around. Like, they really know how to handle themselves out there also as opposed to, like, my dachshund.
7: Mm-hmm
2: whose nose, you know, of course, is going to take her out to hunt the ground squirrels, and she'll end up getting snatched up by a coyote if, if I'm not, you know, on her about it and making her stay closer to where we are. And they just are amazing. It's actually really impressive to see them um, handle themselves out there, and it's quite the contrast to living in the city. So Yeah,
7: it's like a little homecoming for mm.
2: the Oh, the it's dogs. amazing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's cool. Yeah. Oof. So that's cool and it and it does seem like what you said like okay well the drive is there so why not teach the dog and the and the owner how to handle themselves when they are connected to that the intensity of their drive how they you know teach them to keep their brains engaged and be able to listen even when they are tapped into that purest form of the drive so mm-hmm. yeah. and it's just really cool I think for people to experience that as well. I mean, it's pretty, pretty um, ancestral for us, too. All right. Wonderful interview with Maggie McClure. Love talking with her. Bash on Sheepdog Classic.com is their website. And we're going to take a quick break and then come back with maybe if I had to choose my favorite um, of all time, Patricia McConnell, my talk with her. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with the dog show with Julie Forbes. I
1: never felt so free.
2: Host at DogRadioShow.com. That's me, Julie Forbes. Host at DogRadioShow.com. I look forward to connecting. Wait,
3: dogs can use Skype? We're really living in the future. (laughs)
2: This is Julie Forbes. I'm excited to tell you about Farm Dog Naturals, a company that handcrafts herbal remedies for the all-natural dog. Quality and integrity are must-haves for anything that I recommend. Certified, eco-friendly, and cruelty-free, their products address issues like stress and anxiety, itching, hot spots, Crusty noses, as well as pet urine, stains, and odor. Farm Dog Naturals is guaranteed, and I'm so happy with the results I'm seeing. Shipping is available worldwide from their website, farmdognaturals.com, or you can ask for them at a retailer near you. Again, that's farmdognaturals.com.
3: Easy on the ears, good for the soul. Alternative Talk 1150. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, an evolved perspective on life with dogs.
1: Dreams for free. Yeah,
2: it's just dog Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, celebrating our 300th episode today. Just want to, before I run out of time, I uh, want to say such a big thank you to Eric for all of your help over the many years. You do such a great job, Eric. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so um, Patricia McConnell is up next. One of my all-time favorites, for sure. Be sure to look up this interview in t- in its entirety. This was Dog Show number two seventy six. Enjoy. Getting right back into our conversation about dominance, and um, you had said on break that you wanted to get into, and I do too. Um, where, what, what role, or not does dominance play in dog training
4: i would argue none okay. I, I would argue virtually none for a variety of reasons one i don't really want to think about trying to raise my tail base <laughs> we, can't, we can't do we can't communicate with dogs the way we would like to sometimes. Um so, so that's number one, you know, and I think a lot of what people think of as quote being dominant is just completely confusing to dogs because it has nothing to do with the way they sort of work out their
7: yeah.
4: social hierarchy between the two of the other thing just very quickly, I just should say parenthetically, I think dogs vary tremendously in how relevant it is to them. Yes. I yeah. think, don't you think? Absolutely. Some dogs, they couldn't care less. It's like, whatever, take mm-hmm. the bone, I don't care.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, and, and it also varies about, I don't like that bone, but I want to do this, you know, a lot. So it's highly variable, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's something well understood in Field ethology, as well as even being territorial, is actually highly variable depending on the resource. So, so that said, I think it has has no relevance in dog training. The third reason I think it has no relevance is that it's it's the i the best way to get a dog to do what we want. First of all, is is to teach it that it's fun to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we should be focusing on. That's most effective. It doesn't get all about do it because, you know, dominance, one, is not about control. It has nothing to do with control. Um, And we're just mudding the waters, you know. It's really, if you want your dog to come when called, first of all, it has nothing to do with dominance or social order. Two, um, the best way to do it without question, and we know this from decades and decades and decades of research, is to use positive reinforcement and to teach a dog that it's really fun to come when you call. Um, can you stop every dog from chasing a deer if it's 50 yards in front of you? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. You know, you know, there are breed issues, there are individual issues, there are when you got your dog issues. You know, for example, did you get it as a puppy? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so, it's just so fun and so wonderful to discover this whole new world of. Putting yourself in your dog's place and imagining, well, what does she want right now? What does he want right now? What can I do um, to, to help him do what I want and reinforce him for it in a way that he'll do it again? And, and how do I start in a situation in which she is able to do what I ask? I think that's one of the biggest pitfalls. Don't you think, Julie, is that people ask dogs to come when called or sit and stay when they haven't had the experience and the training to be that good at something that hard at that level of distraction, mm-hmm. you know, it's like expecting a five-year-old kid to play Beethoven's, I don't know, fifth, right. um, to 4,000 people when they're, have just sort of learned to play, you know, <laughs> some silent night on the right. piano with their fingers or right. something. You know, so so it's just sad to me that so many people are still being sold a bill of goods that dogs um, should do what you want them to do because they respect you and then usually the ways to get them to do that is using force which is a way to lose respect
2: yeah (laughs) so then I totally agree with you. I think in the place to start, and I say this to people all the time, the best way to get a dog to do something for you is for them to want to do it in the first place. Perfect. So to cre- you know, create the, the experience so that the dog is like, you know, awesome. I had a um, woman tell me once she had a 10 month old Husky. So talk about coming when called female. <laughs> and she said, we, uh, we cannot get her to come to us no matter what she will not come to us no matter what we have to say beef jerky every time we say beef jerky she comes no matter what <laughs> i said well what does That's she think of when you story. say beef jerky <laughs> beef jerky story. So she's like sign me up i'll come every time <laughs> Just say beef jerky. yeah but That's sometimes sometimes the dogs won't choose you know as much as you do that And this is I think it's so important because there's not one answer to this to this question, as you could do everything right from puppyhood and have a dog that isn't easy and, you know, has an agenda of their own. And and you do thousands of repetitions with the highest value reward that you can think of and you build up distraction in the way that's appropriate and all that stuff. And then you still have, whether it be because of a drive or just a choice, that they just don't do it. And then it's a question of, well, what do we do next? And I think that's where, because the fear is that the conversation then is going to be about being, you know, a mean, mean, bad, ugly Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the case either. And, and, you know, boundaries are important and follow through is important. And a lot of times you can just establish that by just ending up getting it. But, um, you know, and you talked about boundaries, um, and, and one of your books, um, you talked about, you know, being teach like having this conversation, like you can love your dog without spoiling your dog mm-hmm. and you can also establish yourself as a leader, and and not be forceful. Um, so, what is then? Okay. So, have we covered everything you wanted to say as far as dominance and its role? You say dominance has no role in in dog training, and I kind of want to say also, like, well, you know, kind of living. There's a difference between dog training and also just living with a dog.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is. There's actually. I'm glad you mentioned that word, leader, because that word too. Has become extremely controversial. Yeah, a lot of people don't like it. Um, I've, i I use it less and less just because so many people respond negatively to it. But it's really all about how you perceive it. You know, um, you know. Another way to 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 use that term is a teacher. You know, I I do think dogs, and especially a certain type of personality. They really need to feel like they're not sort of lost in a sea Mm -hmm. where they have no idea where every choice they make, they have no guidance on. I really strongly believe that there are some dogs that need help. They need guidance. You know, they need teachers. They need mentors. They need us. To help them sort through the world yeah. And so that's what I mean by leader And I know some people, they don't like that word Because they think of it again as They think of like, you know, dominance, the alpha And roll your dog over I don't mean it that way I mean it in the sense of being there as a teacher Or a guide for your dog Because I think, you know, some dogs don't need that But I guess this brings up one of the points I think is so important that you indirectly alluded to Which is that every dog is different mm-hmm. And You know, just because you have a golden retriever doesn't mean it's going to love all your visitors. And just because you have a border collie doesn't mean it's brilliant or easy to train, actually. Some of them are harder to train than a lot of dogs. Um, So so I think one of the things that's really important is to think of dogs as individuals. I mean, I have three dogs right now, two border collies and a Cavalier. I would never take the Cavalier (laughs) off-leash to a big open woods area and just let her go. Yeah. And I would never do that. One, she was in a puppy mill for seven years. Mm. I didn't get her show until she was seven and a half. Wow. Two, she's a Cavalier Spaniel. Yeah. Um, And she, I mean, I say come, you know, at home and she'll often just sort of whip around and run at me like, you know, a dog from a movie. <laughs> but I have to give her much higher reinforcement yeah. ratio than I do the Border Collies. Anyway, so so I think, you know, say you have a dog who you've done, quote, done everything. You've worked with the best trainers in the world. You've used every reinforcement. You've gone step by step. And you have a dog who you just can't trust in a certain context outside off-leash. You know what? That's okay. Then you have a dog you just can't trust. Right. And you need to manage it. And I think that's yeah. one of the biggest differences between professional trainers and the general dog-loving public, is that the trainers accept that a lot of having a happy dog is Mm -hmm. management. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with putting your crazy, exuberant six-month-old dog in a back room Mm -hmm. with a chew toy when you open the door, you know, Mm -hmm. to visitors until you get that turned around. Or, yeah, there's nothing wrong Mm -hmm. with management. We manage our kids all the time. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. We help them stay out of trouble. There's nothing wrong with that.
2: I think it's a great point and I'm really glad that you said this because a lot of times I have to tell people that's not your dog. You know, they see the lab who sits out in the front lawn and would just never leave for anything no matter what walks by right. and they're not a, <laughs> right. and they want that dog and I'm and it's like you're not this is not that dog and never will be ever. Okay. They have a pointer, you know? right? <laughs> and I think it's important to have a reasonable and appropriate expectation for the you know every dog as an individual, just just for them to be the best version of themselves that they can be.
4: Oh, I think that's so true, and and you know, adding on to that, I think so many people feel guilty. Because their dog isn't that fancy, stereotypical, lassy, red tin, tin dog. And the fact of the matter is, there are very few of those. Very few of those. Um, And. Almost none of them, because there's always something. You know, Lassie probably peed in the kitchen, and we didn't know it, because June cleaned it up. That's right. Or, you know, you know. They edited
2: that part out. <laughs> they
4: edited it out, yeah. right? <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> Such an awesome interview with Dr. Patricia McConnell, one of my favorite guests over the years. Uh, one that I didn't include in this compilation, but was another favorite, was Temple Grandin, for sure. That was uh, in March of 2015, the first time I interviewed her, and then I interviewed her again this year. So you can find all of the complete interviews of all these great guests, in addition to all the other now 400 episodes archived on our website, DogRadioShow.com. You can also go to iTunes and download them all as a free audio podcast. And we post most of our episodes through our Facebook page as well through SoundCloud. So you can go to Facebook and like The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Thanks for being with us today. We'll be back next week live here on Alternative Talk AM 1150.
3: You've been listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes Wednesday
0: afternoons at 2 on Alternative Talk 1150 AM. Never miss another episode. Listen
3: to our podcast online at dogradioshow.com or download them for free on iTunes or SoundCloud.